Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. You know the difference between men and women is, right? So, so women, they look in the mirror and like they could be the most beautiful woman in the world and they're like, oh my goodness, like, like, all these things are wrong. Like, I'm just, I'm just, but you can have like the, like the frumpiest looking dude in the world and he's like, I look amazing. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> hey, um, Easter is coming up and around here, Easter's a big deal. Uh, Easter's in six weeks and I just want to invite you to begin praying about who, um, who it is that God is leading you to uh, invite to church on Easter. And, um, and that, that's because studies show that it's like five out of six unchurched people will say yes to go to church on Easter if somebody would simply invite them. And that doesn't mean Facebook advertisements. It means a friend inviting them to church. And, uh, and, and we want you to do that. We're going to have four services on Easter, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you those times next week. Um, but the reason we want people to come to Easter is not because we get some sort of a thrill out of a lot of people being at church. In fact, as a pastor, it's an emotional roller coaster because the next week is one of the lowest weeks of the year. <clears throat> the, the reason why we want you to invite your friends, your family, your coworkers, anybody that you know that's far from God or has walked away from the Lord, we want you to invite them to church this Easter it's because they're going to have a chance to hear the gospel in a very clear way. And they're going to have a much higher likelihood of giving their life to Jesus and walking with him if you would just invite them to church. So that's coming up. Hey, we, um, we just wrapped up a whole collection of messages. So around here we do our sermons. We do them in, we kind of like, call them a series or a collection, a group of messages around a similar topic is how we do it. So sometimes it'll be like a book of the Bible. Sometimes it'll be like a, a common topic. It'll be topical about a certain thing. We just got out of one on relationships. Um, it might be about a certain character in scripture or uh, just kind of surveying different characters. So we, we do that um, because it keeps me on track. Otherwise, I'm zigging and zagging, and so, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I think it's actually just a, a, a much more effective way to do things, and we just wrapped up a whole collection of messages on relationships, specifically conflict in relationships, and I'm just so excited because after, after that was all done, I got invited to a wedding, and I was like, you get it, like conflict in relationships, you get it, this is so awesome. Um, I, I love weddings, and weddings are a lot of fun, but um, for me, they're a little awkward because I, I grew up in, like, um, for real, for real church. You know what I mean? Like, like, we didn't have premarital sex because it led to dancing. Like, that's... So every time I'm at a wedding, I'm just like, oh, I just wish this white body knew how to move. Like, so, so like, 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 I'm just not blessed that way. And so, like, my, my foot will start moving, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm just starting to move. I'm like, dude, I'm like, yeah. Like, I'm, and, and it's at that point, people are usually like, sit, pastor, sit down. You're embarrassing us. You're, you're embarrassing. I had somebody between first and second service tell me to not look like I'm pooping while I did that. And I, Liz Lund, I didn't appreciate it. So... And so I've been working on my, uh, hold on. Oh, yeah. I horrible dancer, horrible dancer. I love the move, I love, but I just always feel com completely humiliated every time I dance. But that's okay. Because I heard some of you singing. <laughs> I heard some, turn to your neighbor and say, I heard you singing. <laughs> And sometimes, like, what we want, what we want doesn't come out the way we were hoping it would come out. I, I had one, one gal, she, she came to church, and she's like, hey, when, uh, when I first started coming here, like, your hair was really nice. And, like, now it, like, does this thing. And I'm like, you didn't come for very long because my hair never does what it's supposed to do. 
it's just like me eating spicy food. It just doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Like, it's great, great. And then about half an hour later, my body says, nope, <laughs> you're too white for that. It's just like, no. My, my wife is like spicy. She loves spicy. But uh, even though, like, I love the flavors of spicy, my, my body just doesn't, doesn't love me. That's probably too much information. Okay. <laughs> just, I think I just crossed the line. <laughs> There's a line, and I, I crossed it. <clears throat> but, but here's the deal. Um, my, my desire to dance and my inability to dance and your desire to sing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We all, we all have that in our lives, don't we? Where, like, we want to go a certain direction, but it's, it feels like no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I, 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 I give my best effort, I, I kind of go the opposite direction with it. And, f- and for most of us in the room, it's probably a lot more real than a bad hair day or spicy food. For, pro- for probably most of us, it's a bigger struggle. Maybe for you, it's just really practical. Like you've decided to start creating a time and place with God in your life. But it seems like every time you crack your Bible, your eyes just glaze over. And you want to read your Bible, but you just struggle to focus. Or maybe for you, you're trying to to build prayer into your time and place with God. And just every time that you go into a time of prayer, you you just start scrolling through all the to-do lists. Anybody else? Just all the to-do lists of life just start. They just, you hadn't been thinking about all the chores that needed to get done. And suddenly you have the honey-do list memorized. Maybe for you, you, you wanted, you recognize that for you, your next step is to be in relationship with God's people. So you got involved in a small group, but but the insecurities of the past, even though you want deep connection, the insecurities of the past prevent you from, from just really having deep, meaningful relationships with other people. Maybe, maybe you've stepped up and you've decided, I'm going to be a spiritual leader in my house. And it's like at the moment you decided to really lead your family forward spiritually, it's like you just keep losing your temper. Or maybe for you, you... You want to be the kind of business leader that God would desire you to be. You want to be a business leader of integrity. And it just seems like every time you get into a tough spot, you fudge the truth. Or maybe for you, you want to have honest lips and a pure tongue, but, but it seems like every time you just get, you just find yourself like circling into like these little huddles of gossip and you're like, I want to have a pure tongue, but I keep finding myself in this place where I'm talking about other people and I don't know why I get there. Yeah. Or maybe it's that you're trying to reconcile a relationship in your life, but you just seem incapable of forfeiting the resentment you have towards them. I think we all struggle with this wherever you are in the faith journey. Whether you don't don't believe in Jesus or you do believe in Jesus, we all struggle with this. We want something out of our life and out of our relationship with God, but it seems like we keep doing something different. There's a writer in the Bible, his name is Paul, and, and Paul was, he was not a follower of Jesus during Jesus' time. In fact, shortly after Jesus' death, the very first time we hear of Paul, he is killing Christians. Not a great guy. He has this miraculous encounter with God. The Lord transforms his life, the direction of his, of his world, changes his purposes. And Paul begins starting churches all over um, the Mediterranean area. And as he's starting these churches, he then starts writing letters back to the churches he's already started. And one of the churches that he starts is in a city you may have heard of called Rome. It was a very um, hostile area for Christians. It was a very, very, very scary place to live out faith. And Paul writes a letter to the Romans, and he addresses this very issue of wanting something in your walk with God, but not experiencing it in your walk with God. He says this in chapter 7, uh, verse 21. He says, I- I've discovered this principle of life. It's just the way it is. It's a principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
Listen to this. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. Does anybody resonate with that? Like you love God with all your heart, but it just seems like there's this other thing sometimes. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a, mis- oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Paul's saying, I love the things of God. I want to live for God. But I just find this principle that every time I try to, I struggle with this other thing. And he uses this real Bible-y word, sin. And like all my church mothers are like, ah, preacher, it's about time you start preaching against sin. And then I got all like my like, people that like went to scary church, and this is like the first time back in years, and you're like, oh, no, it's, it's crazy. No, 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 no. Sin is really, it's a very simple word. It just means anything that you think, do, or say that doesn't please God. That's all it is. And what you don't need is me up here with a list of all the things that you've thought, said, or done that doesn't please God. I guarantee you, everyone in this room, you can make your own list for yourself. And he says, that, that stuff just keeps coming up in my life. And so, so how do you address this when you, you love God with all of your heart, but you find that you still struggle? The things you don't want to do, you keep doing. Does anybody remember when you were a kid and, and you used to daydream or you, you used to pretend a lot when you were a kid? For me, it looked like running around in the woods, uh, you know, having little war games. We would like shoot each other with sticks and stuff. And one time I got shot in the face with a marble and that's why I have a fake tooth. Like, <laughs> we had a lot of fun. And, and I, I love somebody with a good imagination. I love it. And recently my, my oldest son he discovered that if you can take a trash can and you, or not a trash can, it's trash. It is trash, but it's a soda can. And if you squeeze a soda can and you crush it down and then you kind of scream into it a little bit, it sounds like a muffler on a souped up little like Impreza or something. And so, so he's been like all over the house doing this stuff. And so here's my son um, d- driving a scooter with a muffler in his mouth. It's so funny. He's been, he's been doing this, and it was so funny at first. We thought this was the best, and he'd get this a bottle of water, and he'd hit it for backfires. It was great. Now it's not. Like, like, I was like, would you shut up and go to bed? Like his sister's screaming from her room, go to bed. He's like, why is everybody yelling at me? Stop being a car in your room. You know, But as we're kids, we, we pretend a lot, and, and as we grow up, we, we stop pretending, and we begin performing. We get into school, and then we, we get into our jobs, and um, when you show up at your job, you, you, you're not paid to pretend. <laughs> you per, you're being paid to perform. So it's a performance review, not a pretend review. <laughs> like, like you on your job, you're paid to do a task and perform. And that's a good thing. Same with education. Like you get your degree, you got your diploma, not because you were daydreaming, but because you were performing. But the problem is we bring this same mentality into our walk with God. And we, we feel like the way we will address Loving God with all of our heart, but yet not doing things that are consistent with him. The way we'll deal with it is by pretending or performing. By either pretending or performing. And that just creates this this tension that I know I'm not living up to what God wants from my life. And so the way I will deal with it is I pretend... And I perform. I pretend and I perform. Pretend faith looks like putting on a smile when when deep down inside you don't feel like smiling. But you think if you can just 
you bring up the sides of your cheeks so that it just somehow makes it all better. Just look the part, act the part, fake it till you make it. Put on a nice suit jacket, come to church, call everybody brother and sister, but don't really know their first name. That's pretending. I'm just going gonna, gonna to look the part, but inside I am just not consistent with the part. And then there's performance faith, and performance faith is, is just as bad because you might say, I'm not a pretender, like, a, like, a, like I'm, I'm the real deal. And, that, and that's great that you're the real deal. Like you, you don't play around, but guess what? Sometimes to deal with the tension between what we believe about God and what we live in our life, what we do is instead of putting on a fake facade, we just roll up our sleeves and we lean into the things of God as though somehow that's going to fix it. What I'll do is I will just lead five Bible studies this, this semester. I'm going to lead five small groups. I, I'm going to pray more than everybody else. I, I, I'm maybe, maybe struggling with lust, so I'm going to fast and completely forget that Jesus was tempted when he fasted. And then I wonder why I'm tempted while I'm fasting. I'm going to read my Bible enough. I'm going to, like, I'm just struggling with, like, this, this whole gossip thing in my life. But, but what I'll do is I'm just going to get on the prayer team. That way it's not gossip. It's me just being concerned about other people. And so we pretend or we perform. And both will frustrate you and leave you feeling empty. It reminds me of uh, imposter syndrome. Has anybody heard of imposter syndrome? The people that are successful tend to feel as though they are running from being found out. <laughs> they're running from, they're just running, or like hoping that nobody figures out that they're not actually as organized as they put out to everybody. Like they're, they're not actually as good of a salesperson as everybody thinks they are. But, but, they, but that, that drive to run somehow makes them successful, but the truth is inside empty. And so... We pretend and we perform. And pretending and performing are not what God intends for us. God doesn't want us to live this inconsistent life, this tension between what we believe about him and what we do towards him. But we don't know how to deal with it. We need a solution. We need a way out. And can I just tell you that on our own, we are desperately lost. On our own, we are desperately lost in sin. What's sin? Anything we think, do, or say that, that, that doesn't please God, it separates us from him. And on our own, left to our own devices, we pretend and we perform, but we never deal with the stuff between us and God. We, we are sinners who say, we're not, we're not mistakers. We're, like, we're, not, we're not mistakers that mistake. We are sinners who sin. Like we come out of the womb rolling our eyes. Like it's just, it's just the way we are. You didn't have to go through some sort of a crash course on how to have pride, lie, talk about your friend. No, we just do that. We blame, we hide, we, we point the finger at others and we cover things up. It's, it's just in our nature. And there's only one thing that can answer this need. It's the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. It's the only thing that solves the gaps you create by what you think, do, and say that separates you from God. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how well you sweep things under the rug. If you do not deal with the gap, you will always have to pretend and perform. So can I say it like this? We pretend and we perform. The interesting thing about this book, Romans, is the book of Romans, if you look at it today, it's, it's got chapters in it. But those chapters were added by scholars later, scribes later, to, um, to make it easier for us to chunk it out and read it. 
But it's a very difficult book to create clear chapter endings and beginnings because the thoughts, in most places, the thought before the chapter and after the chapter, it just flows as one consistent thought. It's not that they put the chapter in the wrong spot. It's that it's just not designed that way. It's designed as a strong, consistent, logical argument from the Apostle Paul. This is why Harvard used to use the book of Romans to teach people how to make a legal defense. I don't think they do it anymore. And so when we end chapter 7, and, and Paul is saying, like, the thing, like, I love God with all my heart, but the things I want to do, I don't do them. And like, who, oh, wretched, what a horrible thing to say about you. Like, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me? The next chapter begins with this. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That is such a good, healthy word from God. That there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what's condemnation? Condemnation is, is like a strong disapproval. What it means is God does not strongly disapprove of you. God's not like wagging his fist at you. God's not waiting for you to make a mistake. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Well, what do you mean? What I mean is when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the penalty and the price for any sin, anything you've done that separates you from God. He, he clears all of that up. And, and so then the question is, well, which, which sins does he cover? Is it the ones that are like everything before I gave my life to Jesus? Is that what all those ones before? And like if I, if I sin again, I need to get baptized again. No, then I mess up again, I get, get baptized again. Is, that, is, it, is it like all, it's all the sins, you know, before? No. The Bible says it like this, it was once for all. That, that he paid the price once for all. This means Jesus paid the price for every sin you ever have committed, every sin you're committing right now while you're thinking about your spouse. Like he's paid the price for every sin that you will commit tonight, tomorrow, in 10 years from now, he's paid the price. And because of that, he can say this, there is no strong feelings of disapproval from God. He's not sneering at you. He's not w wagging his feet. He's not upset at you. Why? Because in the eyes of God, your price was paid. You are in good standing with God. And here's the deal. I recognize that I'm in a room full of people from different um, different backgrounds in your relationship to God. There's people in here that are Christians. There are people in here that identify as spiritual, but they're not sure they believe in Jesus yet. And there's people that don't believe in God at all. That are, You're just here for the free coffee. Keep coming. But what I'm about to say to you, if, you're, if you wouldn't identify as a Christian, what I'm about to say will be offensive. It's, it's part of this line. It's, it's going to feel offensive, and that's not my intention. I'm just, I just can't create my own view on this. I have to present what it says. It says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What that means is there's no strong feelings of disappointment or disapproval for those that are Christians. What it's saying is if you've chosen not to believe in Jesus, that, that freedom from disapproval does not apply to you. And if you are a believer in Jesus and he is yours and you are his, then what that tells me is that the next time you get this sense that I am just unworthy and I am just not good enough and I'm just terrible, the sense of strong disapproval, that that voice is not from God. That is not from God. That's from the accuser. That's from the enemy of your soul. And you can reject that voice because the Bible says, as a fact, there is no condemnation towards you. 
to those that are in Christ Jesus. But if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and you've decided the way I'm going to deal with the separation between myself and God that I recognize is there, the way I'm going to handle that is I'm going to perform or I'm going to pretend. You're just going to be experiencing a long time of frustration because pretending and performing will never solve your problem. It goes on and it says this in the next verse. And, and because you belong to him. See, Paul's staying with this idea of it's for, you need to belong to him. He says, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He says you're freed from the power of sin. Well, what's the power of sin? The power of sin is the ability to separate you from God. That's what it has. It's got this power that it, it separates you from God. It's, it, it, and, and he's saying that, that if you belong to him, that, that power is broken. Like you don't have, sin has no power in your life. It goes on and it says this. The law of Moses, one's unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And so God did what the law could not do. This is interesting. God did what the law could not do. And in the book of Romans, you're going to find two sort of interchangeable ideas when it comes to this law. One is the law of Moses. This is the, the legal requirements that the children of Israel were given, all the do's and don'ts of God. And they were supposed to maintain these do's and don'ts. And, and, and that was this huge um, hurdle they had to climb. But, but the other idea of law that is in the book of Romans is this principle that inside every one of us, there is this moral law that we, we try to hold ourselves to and yet we never maintain it. Like even nature itself teaches us this idea that there are things that are right and things that are wrong and none of us are able to measure up to this principle. And so it says this, it says Jesus, or it says, so God does through Jesus what the law could never do. So, so the law is like a, like a mirror. It's like a mirror. You, you can look at this mirror. Nobody told me. Come on, people. You can look in the mirror, and you can see that your hair's messed up. I can look in the mirror, and I can realize that I should have ironed this shirt instead of pulled it straight out of the dryer. Okay. Um, I can look in the mirror, and I can, um, I can see these stains in my pants. I don't, think, I don't think I have any. But if I, did, if I did have stains in my pants, the mirror would tell me that. But here's the deal. The mirror cannot fix my hair. The mirror cannot get the stains out of my jeans. The mirror cannot iron my shirt. The mirror can't deal with the armpit sweat under my shirt. Like the, the, the mirror can't do that. All the mirror does is tell me what's going on. And so Paul's saying this, that the law, it, you can see where you fall short, but it doesn't deal with falling short. Yeah. And even in this internal moral compass, like you can see where you should be, but you can't deal with not maintaining that level. You can't deal with it. And so God does what the, what the mirror can't do. And God, through the power of Jesus on the cross, reaches into this life of sin. And he's able to clean the smudges off your jeans. And he's able to iron the shirt. And he's able to fix your hair. He gives power to overcome. He gives power to overcome those things that we normally just sweep under the rug. We either pretend or we perform to try to deal with them. It says it like this, going on into that verse. I, I, let me say it like this. Let me just another, another example. So like a, a speed limit sign does a great job of telling everybody but you how fast to go, Right? It tells everybody else but you how fast they should be going. And, and no, matter, no, matter how, no, how, no matter how much you see a speed limit sign, there's always this part of you that thinks, like, oh, I just go five over. <laughs> I thought I'm about four, four and a half over. And if they get me at five over, they're just being ridiculous. 
And they, they could put up a, a school sign, right? So they put up this like children, children at play. They put that sign out there with it. Children at play. That doesn't change the thing inside of you that wants to go five miles over the It doesn't change it. So adding more rules to the law of God does not stop us from breaking the law of God. I mean, this is, this is what happens in the Garden of Eden. God tells Adam, he says, Adam, if the, the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. But when we look at what Eve says to God, there was a communication between Eve and Adam where Adam adds a rule. Adam, or Eve tells God, the way she understands it, is that the day she touches or eats of the fruit, that's the day you die. So Adam, thinking he was going to create a better boundary, created more rules. And all it does is ruin the whole situation. Like more rules do not help us deal with the stains in our lives. Now, they, they don't help at all. And so this is, it goes on in the second half of verse 3. It says, he sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God declares an end. Like sin, you will no longer have power over my daughters and no longer have power over my sons. He paid the penalty of sin. But he didn't just pay the penalty that goes between sin. He beats sin at its own game. Because he experiences all of life. He experiences moments where he could have hated and he didn't fall to hate. He could have had pride and he didn't have pride. He could have had anger and didn't experience anger. He could have had lust and he didn't experience lust. No jealousy. He could have had plenty of opportunity for sexual immorality. And yet he chose to live a pure life. He could have had greed and yet he didn't experience greed. But the Bible says this, that at the cross, he who knew no sin became sin so he could break the power of sin for you and I. He says, I'm going to beat sin at its own game. I'm going to go into it and I will destroy it from within. I'll show sin. It has no power over them any longer. No power. And because of that, we don't have to pretend and we don't have to perform. It goes on, it says, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. He, he, he fulfills the full requirement of the law so that you and I don't have to be under the weight of sin any longer. It makes me think of when I was a little boy, and I, I, my parents bought me a Nintendo. And I remember I'd be playing that Nintendo, and my mom, she, she loved, she, she, she called them computer games. I want to play, play computer games with you. So my mom and I'd be playing Nintendo, and, and she'd be on Super Mario Bros. or something. She'd get to Bowser, and she could never beat Bowser, so she'd be like, Roger, she'd be like, can you beat the boss for me? And she'd like, give it, and I'd like jump over him, like, it's really easy. Just, I was amazing at Mario Bros. Beat, beat the boss. And then hand it back to her. And then she keeps going. Why? I fulfilled the requirement of that level so she could keep playing the game. That's what Jesus does for you. He fulfilled the full requirement of the law and destroyed sin from the inside out so you don't have to live under the weight of it. You don't have to conquer it yourself. You don't have to pretend your way out of it. You don't need to roll your sleeves up and perform your way out of it. You have overcome through Jesus. I'm having fun. I love it because it means, it means like, I don't have to hope that I'm good enough anymore. It means I don't have to hope that I don't make mistakes anymore. It means I don't have to pretend anymore. It means I don't have to perform it anymore. It means that the cross of Jesus is more than a trinket on a necklace. 
It means it's more than some sort of a symbol on, on somebody's house, the wall in their house. It means it's more than a tattoo on someone's forearm. What's going on on the cross is Jesus is settling once and for all everything that separates us from God. He's saying, let's get rid of all the stuff between them so that God can have relationship with his people. And, and that is the fundamental difference between being spiritual and being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when we're spiritual, we still have to pretend that we got it all figured out. And we still have to perform our way into being a good enough person to somehow make up for all the stuff we see in the mirror. But when we're a follower of Jesus Christ, he came through the mirror and dealt with the sin and the stains in our life, and they are gone. It goes on. It says this. Oh, I'm not at the next verse. So the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied. Think of it this way. Jesus conquers the penalty of sin. What that means is he handles all the stuff between you and God, the stuff that we think, do, or say that creates a gap between us and God. He deals with all of it so we can be in relationship with him. He conquers the penalty of sin. But he goes beyond that. He also conquers the power of sin to separate you from God. So he doesn't just take away the stuff that's between you and God. He then cancels out sin's ability to separate. He says, I'm going to take away the very power of sin. What does this mean? It means that that addiction you've been struggling with for years, not only does he forgive you of the addiction and, and give you clean slate, he also gives you power to overcome. Like he gives you power to walk to the next day. Like that pornography you've been just wrestling with since you were six years old. He doesn't just clean that up in your life. He also can give you the power to overcome it in your life. The anger issue that you had, like your dad had it and your grandpa had it, he doesn't just forgive you for the anger issue. He can also give you the power to overcome that that sin has no control over your life. Because he fulfills all the requirements of the law. The problem is this. Sometimes I, I still, even, even then, like I know I'm saved. I know I don't need to perform. I, don't, I know I don't need to pretend. Sometimes I still feel like sin has power over me. How is that possible? Because here's the idea. Is that when we talk about being saved, it's not like a one-time In Scripture, you will see that there is, it, it describes a moment when you are, are saved, a moment of confession and repentance, you are saved. It talks about being saved, this, this ongoing process. And then it talks about one day you will be saved. So which is it? Yes. The difference is this. You may be saved, but you are still in process. And so the beauty is this, that you're saved, so <clears throat> that sin now does not disqualify me. I can look in the mirror, and, I, and every day I'm not living with the hanging gloom of I might have a wrinkled shirt today. Like, that's, that's no longer my problem because God deals with the penalty of sin. But what is also going on is because I'm not worried about the penalty of sin, I can every day draw closer and experience more and more of the power over sin. And so the longer you live for God, the more he begins to change and shape and convict and, and tweak our lives, changing us through his power. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Notice it does not say they think about the Spirit. 
They're not thinking, oh, I'm so amazing. No, they're thinking about the things that please the Spirit. Remember, sin is when you think, do, and say things that don't please God. A person that is dominated by the Spirit of God is thinking about things that please God. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure. Think about these things. They're, 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 it's like this. It's like, do you, like, so I've got a son, my, my boy, I, I, my kids are my example always, right? <sighs> they should have signed a waiver out of the, out of the womb. <laughs> my son is, is doing his driver's, he's learning to drive. And, and aren't you thankful that they don't just do driver's ed and send them out on the road with you? No, they're like, you're going to drive and you're going to terrify your parents for the next six months. Like, you're going you're to make your parents scared to death before you ever get out here. And so I've been driving with them. And the other night we're driving uh, from my parents' house back to our house. And it's pitch black and he's got to get a certain number of hours at night. And as he's driving, there's cars coming towards him. And it's, do you remember what it was like when you first started driving? And you're driving at night and there's these bright lights coming. They look like they're coming straight at you. And you're like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I hope somebody in your life was able to say, hey, just don't look at the light. Instead, look at the white line on the right side of the road. Anybody remember that? And that changed everything. Because before, you would look at that light and you would just like, oh, here I come. And now when you see that other line, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm staying steady. I'm looking at that. I'm not looking. Because when, where you're looking is where you go. And this is what happens. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they're thinking so much about not sinning. Like, I, I just can't be jealous. I can't have pride. I can't be angry. I, I better not, you know, have sex outside of marriage. I better not do whatever, whatever it is. And they're thinking about this whole, and the whole time they're like, oh, my goodness, I just did all the stuff that I was thinking not to do. Because that's what we do. Instead, what we do is we think about the things of the Spirit, and as we're doing that, we're not focusing on what not to do. We're focusing on what pleases God. So then it says, so, so letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. I don't want to point this out. It says, it says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. It does not say, have a positive mental attitude. It does not say, think your way out of this thing. You just got to think harder. It, it, this is not Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich. This is surrender your mind to the power of God and say, God, I'm going to allow you to govern my mind. I'm not going to like muster up my own strength and my own willpower to, to perform my way through this thing. Instead, I surrender my mind to the will of the Spirit. I let the Spirit govern the things of my mind. And he begins to speak things into your life like, peace and truth and righteousness and forgiveness and repentance that transforms our lives and doesn't come from our thinking our way through it. And the beauty is that God is not Simon Cowell with a big red X buzzer just waiting for you to be off key. That's not who God is. God pays the penalty for sin deals with the stain, and then as the stains appear, he's giving you the power to overcome them. Not for instant perfection, but a process, a life of growing in the grace of God. Because God's purpose for saving you isn't to get you saved. It's so that he can fulfill his purposes in you and through you. As the band would come, The very last portion I'm going to read says this. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, 
The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. There's no strong feelings of disappointment or disapproval from God because you have been made right with Him. Then it says this, this such a powerful phrase, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the spirit of God. Now we believe that there's another work called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is for you. But when you place your your faith in Jesus, you are sealed with the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you. And so you don't need to pretend your way through. You don't need to perform your way through. He dealt with the penalty of sin. He dealt with the power of sin. And now he empowers you to overcome and live a conquering life more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Now, I was raised in, in a church home. My, my parents have lived for God all of my life. And I know many of you have not been raised in that environment. Just know this, we have our own form of dysfunction. My earliest memories are my mama beat red in her neck and her face praying at the foot of her bed just praying like like even to this day if I have a need I'm going straight to mom and dad to pray and I remember countless times growing up watching my my mom and my dad as they pray they would say this my mom specifically she would say Holy Ghost help me (laughs) she would get flustered and mad she'd say Holy Ghost help me They started a business and everything was going sideways. They said, Holy Ghost, help us. The teenage son acting a fool. Holy Ghost, help us. And I'm just telling you that there's this incredible power you have access to. It is the Spirit of God, not just being free from sin, but you have access to the very Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead inside of you. And if you want to know what that next portion is, if you're like, how do I grow in my walk with God? It's growing and accessing the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. It's inside of you. So let that come alive in you. Begin to call on His name. Begin to call on Him. And He'll transform your life. He'll help you in a time of need. He's never late. Would you stand with me all across the room? Church, listen. We don't need to pretend. And we don't have to perform. Because at the cross, Jesus dealt with the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And then he gives you access to his spirit. Would you raise your hands right now? I just want to pray over you. Lord Jesus, done are the days of weak faith. Done are the days of of double-minded living. Lord Jesus, done are the days of not knowing the Holy Spirit mandate on our lives. Done are the days of going day to day hoping we'll be good enough. Lord, we trust that when you say it is finished, it is finished. Lord, we trust that when you say you died for all sin once for all, that you meant what you said and you're calling us to step forward into the purposes that you have for our lives and in our lives. 
So Lord, I pray right now that you would begin to mend the brokenhearted, that you would give strength to those that, that feel frail today. Give power to the believer that feels hopeless in this moment. And Lord, I pray we would be confident that when you say there is no condemnation to those that belong to Jesus Christ, that there is none. Not one word of strong disapproval. We are yours. You are ours. I wonder in this room today, I know I'm talking to a mixed group. Just kind of keep this posture in your heart. But I wonder if when I made that caveat that Paul puts in there, when he says that this promises for those who belong to Jesus Christ, I wonder if you're in the room today and you said, I don't know if I'm that. I don't know if I belong to him. Listen, right now we can settle that. You can belong to him, and he can belong to you. If that's what you would like, would you just put your hand up so I can see who I'm talking to right now? I see hands all over the room. Hands all over the room. Good job. Good job. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent, and we're going to believe. Repent means I turn away from the things in my life that I think, do, and say that don't please God. And I'm going to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when I do this, the penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin is gone. He brings you into a right relationship with pray this prayer with me. If you raised your hand or if you want to jump in on this, pray something like this with me. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know you don't like. I'm turning away from them now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross that he was buried for three days. He rose again with the power to conquer sin, the power to conquer the power of sin, give me freedom and life. Right now I'm placing all of my faith, all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's a bunch of people that just made the best decision of their life. Free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin and access to the spirit of the living God. Come on. Come on. That's good news. God bless you, church. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.